This is Marcel. And this is Isabel. And you are listening to the Top Rank Podcast. So for any new listeners out there, uh, this podcast is an exploratory research platform centered on people of diverse backgrounds who are driving, shaping, and challenging their fields and the world around them. In the course of the past few weeks, starting in Minneapolis and spreading across the U.S. and even the globe, people have taken to the streets to express their fury, grief, and immense collective frustration at a broken system built upon genocide, exploitation, racial capitalism, and police brutality, a system that has resisted the same demands for change that have been repeated over generations. We're in the midst right now of what appears to be an enormous cultural shift in the ongoing struggle for liberation for Black people, as well as for all people of color. And as always, some of the most important and crucial work is being led by young people who are doing the work in re-envisioning and reimagining what activism and protest can be in this current moment. Today, we're very excited to be speaking with three members of Warriors in the Garden, Kiara, Gaia, and Cindy. Warriors in the Garden is, is a collective of activists dedicated to nonviolent protest and focus on combating police brutality and all forms of systemic oppression. Their work particularly emphasizes activating educational, social, and economic strategies for eliminating race-based discrimination and for working to ensure the health and well-being of all people of color in New York. So we're very excited, and we would love if, the, if we could start with the three of you quickly, each saying your name and a few words about yourself. Um, I'm Kiara Williams. I'm 20 years old. I'm a current activist, and Black Lives Matter. Hi, I'm Cindy Kantium. I'm as well 20, and I have been joining the movement for the last couple of weeks, and I've decided to take a more leading role with Warriors. Yeah, um, and I'm Gaia, and I'm 19, and I'm also part of Warriors in the Garden, and I'm the youngest in the group. <laughs> so we'd love to learn the, the origin story of Warriors in the Garden. How did you all come together to found this group, and how did you even choose the name? Um, so this is Kiara. So honestly, we all met on in on the streets in a protest. Um it was kind of ironic how we met. Like we were all just chanting, like all just taking charge, like trying to lead like this massive group. And then we realized that we would be really good together. So um we like linked up over the phone and one of our other members, Joseph has like instinctively put warriors in the garden as like the group chat name. So then when we were when we were coming when we were becoming official, um everyone just voted on it and we all just liked it. So that's how we got Warriors in the Garden. Yeah, no, we literally all just we all just met at protests and I think it's kind of wild how that happened because I think everybody who's part of our group in some way, shape or form was a leader before this, before we got together, and that's why we did get together. Also, um, Joseph knew this Japanese saying, and it goes, it is better to be a warrior in the garden than a gardener in a war. And that's how he kind of got the inspiration to say warriors in the garden. I like that a lot. Um, okay, so then, so this all happened very recently and 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 you guys have really like just sort of hit the ground running with doing so much which is amazing because i i follow you guys on instagram and i see like how much you've already achieved in the kind of organizing that you're doing so i'm wondering like when you first got together um and and decided to you know work, align and, and work together to be leaders what were your first intentions and goals like as a group and have these you know evolved or shifted at all since then yeah, um, personally, this is Kiara, by the way. Personally, when I started, um, I was protesting by myself before I joined Warriors. And my goal was always to just fight for Black lives because I'm tired of Black people, innocent Black people, getting their lives taken. Um, but now I have, like, a much bigger vision. Um, I don't want to fight for Black lives, but I want to do it outside of New York as well. Like, I want it, I want it to be nationwide, and I want the system to really change because 
we are all, like, most of us are all black people who will have black children, and we don't want our children to go through this again. Like, we don't want, yeah, we don't want them to experience this. So, I'm not black. I'm actually Indian. Yeah. No, I know. That's why you said most. But, oh, it's Gaia, by the way. Sorry. But, um, I, when I joined Warriors, I joined kind of, still in the beginning, but not like the beginning, beginning. And I think at first it was, we were mainly just trying to like organize protests, trying to get people out. And I think now we have a bigger goal as to how we can actually create long lasting change in the society that we live in today. Yeah, this is Cindy now. Um, as well as Gaia, I also joined Warriors relatively late. Like they had just fully formed and I was like, I am here anyway, thank you <laughs> for the spot. Um, but I mean, even then when I first began, I went to one of their protests and I spoke and Kiara was actually there. And even through what I've seen so far and as it's continued to progress, I think we've definitely gone from being on the ground to thinking about ways how we complete can we we can completely dismantle and change not only the police but the entire system that has kept black people down for so long. So I think we definitely wanna see not just like long term goals, but like goals that will be forever changed. Yeah, I definitely would love to hear more about um, some of the goals and actions you have already been um, putting into motion already. But before before that, I'm just curious to hear from all of you, when did activism become, you know, something part of your life that you identify with as, as, as part of what you do, as part of your identity? Has it been something that has been present for for a long time now, has it been our you know current current moment and all these compounding crises that have like had a that have um, impacted you all? Like, what's the I guess origin story behind each of your um, coming into doing activist work? So, I it's Gaia, and I am basically political stuff was always something that was important to me growing up. I always thought I wanted to, people always told me, oh, you should be a lawyer, oh, you should be in politics. And I like always, growing up, I wanted to be in politics. And then I saw how politics worked, and I'm like, this isn't what I want to do. I want to be able to actually create change. And it's so dumb. I was kind of, I kind of had a platform like myself outside of Warriors and Garden on freaking TikTok. And I was talking about, Stuff there before the protests even happened. I was talking about police brutality. I was talking about eating the rich. Like, it's just something that I think I've always found important. And I've always felt like I'm in a position to where I'm able to help and be able to actually do something. And now with Warriors, I just feel like we actually can do something. Like, I feel like we have not only, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's just us. It feels like there's lots of people out there that are willing to support this and lots of people who are just tired of the shit that keeps happening. Yeah, and so Cindy now, um, I've kind of always been into, I guess you would call it activism, even since, I think since the first conception of Black Lives Matter a couple of years ago. Um, I was very intrigued with everything that was happening, and I lived in D.C., so or close to D.C. at least, so it was a good distance for me to go and protest and, like, make my voice heard. And I major in politics, and this is kind of what I've always saw my life around, but I was recently having a conversation with another one of our members, um, Livia, and she, me and her were talking about how, you know, the term activism or activist is honestly kind of excluding because it really doesn't take much to be an activist. Um, and I wear that badge really proudly, but I think literally anyone can do it if you care about something passionately enough and you're willing to go outside and make your voice heard. And I think that's what's so organic about Warriors in the Garden because all these people just went out there and were so upset and frustrated with everything that was happening. They wanted to just make their voice heard and they realized there's so much power in that. And so I guess, 
I see myself as an activist and I like that terminology, but I really just think it's a matter of being so upset that you can't take it anymore. It's Kiara now. Um, I didn't think that I would be an activist in 2020, but I'm not really fully surprised because when Trayvon Martin happened and Sandra Bland happened and Eric Garner happened, um, I really like had this anger and I feel like George Floyd was it for me. Like it took that much for me to like defy my mom, defy my family and just go outside because um, this is scary like to do because then you, you're basically putting a target on your back when you speak out against the system. So they really weren't supporting that. But um, I was just so angry that I just couldn't. I had to go outside. I had to yell at them. I had to let everyone know like this is not okay. And I think once I realized, like, when I was yelling and I was making speeches like, by myself and people were coming up to me, like, you're so powerful, like, thank you so much, like, you know, basically appreciating me for, like, using my voice and, like, speaking out when most of them feel uncomfortable to do so, um, that's when I kind of realized, like, okay, like, I could really, like, keep doing this and I could really keep, like, making people feel strong and, like, that change is going to come, like, giving people hope. So you guys have been, you know, organizing and leading peaceful protests around New York. And however, you know, many protests in the past few weeks have been met with, you know, state violence and, and repression from the police, as, where, as well as military and citizen militias. Have you guys experienced this? Or, I mean... I know you've also been been attending other protests aside from your own, so just wanted to hear you weigh in. We've all been physically hurt by cops at this point, <laughs> which is ridiculous. Whether it be at our own protest or another, I think, yeah. especially in the first couple of weeks, <laughs> like the first week, which, which was horrendous in New York City and everywhere, right. um, you saw just a surge in violence from the police officers. Yeah, um, I, it's literally been a week yesterday since we had our protest where at Columbus Circle, where we walked to Columbus Circle and we walked to like where Trump Towers is. Mm -hmm. And I, um, there was one spot where we were in Times Square and I was kind of in the front and they had like left a gap open because the cops had barricaded most of Times Square except for a certain mm -hmm. part. So I was making sure that people on bikes went through first before people who were walking and I was just standing there I was guiding people I was just making sure people got through safely this one cop who had his badge number covered grabbed a protester's bike and then shoved it into me and mind you I'm like I'm five one and I'm like a hundred pounds and I'm like a small person so when a man who is like six feet tall and 200 pounds does that to me like it hurts and I had this giant ass bruise on my leg for the past week and my bone is bruised and I have a couple other bruises and stuff but I think it's ridiculous that I I watched this police officer grab a protester's bike and shove it into me and his fellow officers just stood there and watched as they always do. So I think that's also part of the problem is it's not just, oh, there's some cops that are violent. It's also the ones that sit there and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah, as well as, I mean, there was recently a hearing about all of the police brutality that has just happened over the protest. And the hearing went on for two days. It was eight hours and it was only all of uh, testimonies that people were willing to say, not including the multitude of written testimonies that were also um, received. So the police brutality during this have just like went up tenfold. It's almost like they're basically proving our point, and that's what I repeatedly yelled at them um, on May 29th, the Barclays protest, when me and like maybe three dozens of other people got batons pushed into their backs because we were forced off the streets. Like when they were doing that, when they were pushing black women or black elderly women on the floor and young black girls on the floor, like I was just saying, like you guys are basically proving our point. Like this is the fact, like this is the reason we're out here. Like, thank you. Like so everyone can see, like, thank you. So it's just kind of crazy how like 
we're fighting against police brutality and we're like using police brutality. Right, it's like that total like cycle of like repression that as you said before, just like proves like the very urgency of our need to dismantle these systems. Um, and it takes a, an immense amount of courage to, you know, I, and I, and I, and I commend you guys and really thank you all for putting yourselves on the front lines at a time when it's very clear that uh, the state and our city government has kind of left us and protesters to, you know, have to protect themselves. And so those are, those are really big um, risks you all are taking to your health and safety. And I just really, I just want to express my, you know, my gratitude for, um, for those actions that you're taking. And I guess related to that, you know, I would love to hear more about the types of actions you all have been organizing. I think one of you mentioned um, uh, a protest you all organized at Columbus Circle. And so it'd be great to hear more about uh, the protests you've been organizing. And, and I guess also hear your thoughts on what kind of impact and effect protests have for people and for social movements in general. Um, so we we just recently had a children's protest. Um, we had, maybe, I think, three so far, but our first one was, like, the best one. Um, on June 9th, we gathered at Barclays Center, and we walked to Grand Army Plaza. Grand Army Plaza. Um, there, like, we had pizza and, like, ice cream for the kids. And then we allowed like a few kids to speak when they like if they wanted to speak, and I think that was the most important part of the entire protest because it really set the tone and it really showed the audience like yeah these kids are seven like these kids are young but they are aware of what is going on and they're also tired and I do feel like kids are often left out because it's like oh you're so you're too young you you have no idea what, like you don't know what you're talking about but like I feel like that protest really proved. To not only the people that were in attendance, but when we posted like the, the content that we got from there, the people that saw it were kind of like, oh, okay, like if kids can get it, like maybe other people can get it. And it's sad that like, it's sad that it had to be that way, but I do feel like the kids were inspiring for a lot of other people. Um, I also just wanted to say like, I don't remember if you <laughs> brought it up earlier, but just the fact of, I know that you're like thanking us for being out there, but also I think it's important to acknowledge that we need everyone that can be out there. Like it's not, like we wouldn't be anything if it wasn't for everybody else out there with us. Mm -hmm. Because here's a thing that I've personally noticed is when we have smaller numbers, when we don't have as many people, when it's later in the night and people start going home, that's when the cops feel like they can do whatever the hell they want. Because mm -hmm. Frankly, it's kind of like if you have thousands of people here, if you have thousands of people taking the streets right now, there's there's no way they can stop all of us. That's what it is. And us by ourselves, us just organizing, uh, the events would be nothing without the people there to support, the people there who are with us every single day. We're just We're just people who are good at putting it together for everyone. As well as like um, other protests that haven't been the children's protests, like our Columbus Circle protest or any other one that we've had. I know that when we all go there, we go there with so much passion and drive. And when we're chanting, we feel the chant and we want that to be expelled to other people. So they feel that energy. And um, commonly, I feel like at our protest, we always tell people to say it louder. Like almost yeah. every single thing we have, we're like, say it louder. And it's because, like, we don't want people there who don't care about it. And, yeah. like, if you're going to be here, you're going to give every breath you have because people no longer have theirs. And I think when people come, they realize all of that passion, that adrenaline, that emotion is lingering at our protest. And I think that's why people have um, been so inclined to Warriors in the Garden. And then we allow, just like with the children's march, we allow people to speak and, and share their emotions and share their experiences because this is a collective of people that have been going through this for years. And I feel like 
that is what you're left with. You're left with the sense of realization and you're almost left with a new sense of passion. Yeah, like everyone that was like 14, 15, 16 and couldn't protest back then because like, you know, their parents had like that hold on them. They're grown now. So that anger that they had stored is like resurfaced when George Floyd and Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery got murdered. So for you guys, okay, so this, I think this is a really important point about numbers really mattering, like, like really having bodies in the street, not only as a means of protection, but to just get the message across. So it seems, it seems like the way that you're communicating um, these events is, is through social media and you're sort of relying mostly on Instagram to, you know, get the word out and have people come. So how are you handling that? And are you concerned about surveillance? Um, so we do, like we do use Instagram to like get our flyers out faster, but even if there's like two days before that protest or like a day before that protest, if we're outside, like we always relay, we're warriors in the garden. We have a protest, like check us out, like come support, you know, like we always relay that outside too. So it's also like, I guess, recruiting outside as well, like outside of a protest. Um, we recruit like Uber drivers, like whenever we're in Ubers, we're like, yeah, we're warriors in the garden, like come check us out, like, come to a protest, like we do that. Like, so we really just try to be um, on hand socially and physically too. Um, and surveillance, you mean as, as in terms of like the police and like the government watching us? Is that what you mean? Yeah, um, Yeah, that and also, you know, the, well, being watched and the fact that, um, you know, Instagram and these platforms like are not at all, you know, secure or private and are, you know, owned by corporate entities, which generally don't share the value system that we're all expressing. So, you know, does that, does that worry you? I think it's really interesting that you, that you are, you know, also communicating all this stuff in person and trying to connect with, with people in person in a more like, like guerrilla marketing style. Cause it seems like social yeah. media has kind of replaced that. But yeah, I mean, I guess I know that you use signal for, you know, other kind of texting. So, yeah. Um, so we're already on the NYPD's watch list. So, yeah. Here's the thing. We know that they know us. There's no way that they don't know us. They know who we are. They know our faces, or at least some of our faces. I'm pretty sure they know all of our faces. They've been now. recording us. They, yeah. Actually, during one of our protests, a police officer in a white shirt with his badge number covered was recording us with his cell phone. And like us particularly too was the scary mm-hmm. part. And honestly, it's kind of just like, we're already here. Like they already know our faces. They already know what we're doing. And even before we got here, we knew that we would get to this point. Yeah. You know? And, oh, and just like with like, because Instagram is owned by Facebook, and Facebook is notorious for, like, selling information. But, I mean, at some points, you know, I think that's kind of the scare tactics they want to do to mm-hmm. make us stop. They're like, well, and I know the capabilities they have in terms of everything that's been happening recently, mm-hmm. but it's still, like, you know, we kind of can't stop. Like, things are still going on, and if that is... um what they're doing to make us stop. I mean, history just always showed, like, the government's normally on the wrong side of it. <laughs> and, you know, I hate to, like, have anything happen to anyone for that to be proven, but it, it's really out of our control. No, and, like, it, it's also the fact of people, people also know who we are. It's not just the government. It's people know who we are. News outlets know who we are. If something happened to us, it would be so suspicious. And I personally, I don't think the general public would be happy to know if something happened to people who are organizing the protest. That just sounds too suspicious. That sounds, I think it's also in the government's best interest to not do anything to us in particular, because I think that would lead to more that would just escalate things even more i do feel like that um since we are we are making like i would say little waves right now but when we do make bigger waves it'll be like 
more of like a, okay, they're doing too much. So I do feel like as of right now, we have really nothing to worry about, but I do feel like as we go on, which we will go on, it'll be like, okay, like now it's just like too much. But um, I also do feel like Instagram and all that stuff, like we don't, we like we, we are, we are, we make sure to not have any important information on those apps just for the simple sole fact that we don't trust um, social media like that. I guess also related to like the social media piece, I was, you know, you are definitely like well aware of all these brands, right? In the past few weeks coming out on social media, you know, proclaiming their solidarity with black lives and their commitment to, you know, structural change, you know, all the kind of buzzwords that I feel like these brands use like every time something happens. Um, and so I was curious to hear your thoughts on how, you know, corporate corporations have been on the one hand responding with solidarity, but perhaps maybe co-opting um, social movements. Just curious to hear your thoughts on that. So Cindy, when I first met her, <laughs> she was talking on our protest, like I gave her the mic and this girl really was like, they have our black dollars. Like, we're, she was like, we're fueling the government. And I really, like, had to sit there and really start thinking, like, wow, she's right. So I do feel like they are, they feel so inclined to post their solidarity because they know who most of their, like, who genuinely fuels their company is. So they, I feel like it's all just, like, what is it called? Uh, marketing strategies. That's what I feel like it is. Um, before I let Cindy go off about this, because Cindy is very passionate about this, to be honest, um, I just want to say, like, they're right. Like, these companies that all of a sudden claim, oh, we're for systemic change, you're part of the system that is upholding this. Literally, you are the reason that we have these issues. What do you mean you're part of systemic change? You use prison labor. You use... You use unethical ways of making your products, of distributing your products. You take advantage of your employees, and then you want to talk about how you want systemic change. You're literally the system. I I speak on this so frequently, and I've even made my own mistakes. Like recently, I've been supporting Ben and Jerry's, which is owned by Unilever, which is owned that which owns so many other companies that commit um, using slave labor, that use underage workers, that don't pay their workers the right amount, that don't give them benefits. And so I'm even still learning how, where I should invest my own black dollar, but it is ridiculous because you realize that the true evils of racism, and this is going to be a controversial statement, but comes from the back of capitalism. It's all a cycle. I mean, and the police is just one piece of the puzzle of this cycle and even the police relates back to capitalism because who are they protecting? They're protecting the white dollar and for them to protect the white dollar, they must take the black dollar, give it to the white people and then suppress the black people. And every single thing, like for example, you saw all of those um, organizations that you saw were donating to the Trump Foundation and a lot of them are fast food chains that are predominantly found in black neighborhoods. I mean, they're using our own money to suppress us. And I think it's utterly ridiculous when they believe these, like, solidarity things, and then one, don't tell you where their money's going. Two, don't tell you how they make their products. Three, just everything. I mean, I know recently Dogs Kill released a Black solidarity thing, and then it was almost immediately removed from their website. This has only been, I think we're only approaching our fourth week of protest protesting when we have categorized the civil rights movement as 10 years. The difference in that time period is ridiculous. And I mean, I don't know who to essentially be upset with because while of course I'm upset with the corporation, I also know that during, you know, the Montgomery bus boycott, they stopped you riding the bus for a whole year. So it's like, it's just, what are you willing to give up to truly end systematic racism. And adding to what Cindy said about K 
capitalism and the fact that I I personally think that capitalism is the root of many of the issues in society that we face today as a whole. Um, but also, it's like, this is a stat from the U.S. Department of Justice, but 5% of all arrests are for violent crimes. 16% of arrests, though, are for drug abuse violations. So the thing is, it's not easy to help people. You could invest your money in helping people, like people who have drug addictions, but that is not profitable. Because then if you don't have these same people in prison, you don't have these same people who are working for these large corporations, then they're not going to make profit. It's all about money is the issue. And I don't think people realize that it shouldn't be. It's the fact that there are human beings behind these numbers. When in 2018, 1,323 people were shot, were killed by cops. 1,323 people who have their own individual lives were shot and killed by cops. But I don't think people realize that those are actual human beings that that happened to and not just, oh, it's so easy to just write off it as, oh, this person deserved it if you just don't think about it too long. You don't think that this person has a family, this person has a life outside of it. And that's where you get the terminology, sorry, Cindy again, and that's where you get the terminology of being a statistic. And that's why Black people always say, I don't want to be a statistic because you almost completely forget the name, the face, the feelings, the personality behind okay. that statistic. And like, and this is what I'll personally have to close off on. It's just, and it's what's even more ridiculous about the system we're in is that it's not even true capitalism. They've all tricked us into believing that we live in a capitalistic um, world, but we don't. We don't have perfect competition. We don't have government interference. We have all those things, but then they uh, parade it as capitalism. It's similar to what was happening with communism. All these things that were not communist countries were claiming to be communist, and then you saw the destruction of that. And I just think that we're all being played. I just think we're all being played. <laughs> we are. We're all being played. We're all just, unfortunately, the reality is we live in this system. So. Yeah, I'm totally, first of all, in alignment with everything you all said, like with your frustration about how it just seems like, again, you know, the backbone of racial capitalism is that, you know, exploitation and extraction of, you know, not just like human life, but dispossessing resources, um, land, and yeah, like the sanctity of life itself. And I feel like what's crazy about this current moment, and I feel like the current um type of like neoliberal capitalism that we're experiencing and it's it seems that these companies that as you all so like powerfully articulated are co-opting and repackaging like the very social problems that they you know create and outside of this podcast i do some research on you know the marketing industry and it's interesting to hear like though like marketers own like discourses and conversations about like people in in your age demographic, you know, like people that are 19, 20, and this whole idea that's, you know, bubbling up with those types of corporate professionals that like social justice and social activism is, you know, a really important part of Gen Z. And it's something that brands can use to their advantage to get young people to to like, like their products and be loyal to their brands. Um, so it's it's just kind of, you know, intense to see how, you know, as I said before, brand and how, as, as you all expressed, um, it seems like marketers have an understanding that there is like a zeitgeist of social justice consciousness uh, for younger people in this country and are actively, as we've seen over the past few weeks with all of these like solidarity statements, like countless um, attempts to try to co-opt and I think ultimately like neutralize the the really powerful political coalitions that people like yourself are in the midst of, of forming and, and participating in. So um, yeah, just wanted to throw that out there because it's, it's, it's very, it's, it's even more calculated, right? This co-opting, I feel like. And I think that's something that, you know, sets this moment apart potentially and is a really exciting shift is that 
I'm seeing a lot, you know, on social media and just hearing you all speak to about a like renewed awareness of the relationship between racism, exploitation and like our our global economic system in a way that I don't think was as like was was as kind of like a common knowledge or a common opinion. And I think like something that Marcel and I always say when we're talking about this is like we're all complicit in this system by by participating in the economy. So, you know, one of you said, what are you willing to give up for change? And I think that is like a really, really big and scary question is that it will require every single person to make drastic changes to their to the conveniences and experiences of their life. And that is is kind of the only thing that will that will actually, you know, make an impact. And that's often where people kind of balk, like not wanting to 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 take that extra step. But these things are also deeply interconnected. Um, but okay, so we also wanted to ask you, we have a, a, a few questions left. I see we're, we're coming up on 45 minutes. Um, regarding the media, how do you all feel about how the media has been portraying these protests? Like have the accounts that you've been, there's been a lot of, of talk about this, of criticism, like have these accounts aligned with your experiences being in the protests or have they differed from them? Um, the media saying that these protests aren't peaceful is really a joke because um, we're there every day and we stress, like, even when people get upset, we calm people down just so there's no violence. Um, I do feel like when there was violence, though, in the beginning, it was most definitely the police. Like, I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen a cop get out of his cop car and just push a lady on the ground and just go back in the car. Like, you've seen videos of, like, cops literally running over people with their cars like so for the media to still sit here and say like oh these protesters are being so violent knowing being aware fully aware that it's not the protesters it's really just uh it shows you that they were never really on our side as we believe because i've always had the perception that the news outlets were fake um and the news outlets did um only report things that wasn't pressing in society. Um, I do feel like I'm very grateful for the news outlets that have reached out to us and that are covering what's really going on, but majority aren't, and that's really the issue. I also just wanted to say that, like, I feel like I use social media now more for news than the actual news, because what I see on social media is firsthand accounts. Like we always learned in school, primary primary sources are supposed to be what we trust, right? Because when you go through the news, they're filtering and they're showing you what they choose to show you. So I think the best way to see what's actually going on, people always live stream protests. There's always people who do that. Um, there's people who share videos of actual protests. I mean, we like at Warriors of the Guardian, like we make sure to live stream our protests just so people know what's going on. Um, and I think, I think people just sometimes they blindly just believe the news, which is ridiculous because the news they're trying to um like they want views, they want money, and that's that's about it. It's really cultural um to believe the news like it's been I could probably think back like when t v first came out, like it would always be, oh, let's watch the news in the morning, like let's wake up and watch the news, or like even when I was like six years old, like going to like elementary school, it was like oh, um, turn on the news before you go to school, like, you know, to see what's going on. And I feel like that, that's really, like, the news started to pick up on that and really started to, like, pick and choose what they wanted to show the audience. Yeah, and as, like, trust in the government went down, so did trust in the news. And I think you see that because, especially particularly with these protests, you see how each news outlet, whether conservative or liberal, is trying to push a certain narrative. You have conservative conservative media showing violent quote-unquote protesters and claiming that these protests are super violent and this is why the police are reacting and acting this way um, to put down the protests. And then you have liberal media showing violent police officers, obviously, which is important to show, but they're showing that particularly to um, for a disapproval of the Trump administration because he's calling on the National Guard and all these things. But then you have 
things that are happening, but not the full range of what is actually happening at the protest, which is that majority of them are peaceful. And if there were something to happen, it's one moment, it's one scuffle in like hours long of protesting. Like you are taking five minutes of protesting and overshadowing it for three hours long of protesting. And that's what gives off the false narrative. And although people are upset and like people may like, you know, express their like anger, um, I'm pretty sure like the general public should be pretty understanding as to why black people are dying for no reason. So yes, they threw a water bottle at a police officer. Wow. Black people are dying for no reason. Right. Again, it's just proof that oftentimes private property has more value than like human life in our current system. And just like the protecting the lengths that have been to protect that system is just, again, levying abuse to the human beings who are actually trying to, you know, resist it. So, yeah, it's been intense, too, to see, you know, in in the midst of how brazen the police have gotten with repressing um, protesters and activists. Also the attacks on journalists, like live on the air, which, you know, for me was a sign like, wow, they really don't like give a shit any, I mean, never have, but in a country that, you know, prides itself on freedom of the press and freedom of assembly, you have like CNN Mm -hmm. journalists, mainstream news being attacked by the police. I feel like also Right and arrested, exactly. Um, kind of a paradigm shifting moment in terms of really bursting the bubble of, you know, America's brand and the brand that it displays to its citizens and the world. Um, I think related to that, you know, these uprisings have been some of the largest public gatherings that have happened since that COVID-19 outbreak. Um, and you know, I think that that is that is significant. And I am curious to hear your thoughts on what impact um, the pandemic has had on how you're organizing. Um, I do, like, I honestly have been trying to understand because two of us, well, two of us here have gotten tested for COVID and we have, like, we didn't contract it, we didn't receive it. like. A lot of us really have, like, the people who did get tested in Warriors in the Garden have the antibodies. So it's really, like, I've been trying to understand how we've been around thousands of people and people have been around thousands of people. And, like, it, like coronavirus hasn't surfaced. Um, I I really, like, been trying to understand. Uh, I know people are dying, but I'm not sure if it's from what the government has been telling us. Because it... I do feel like we've been all breathing the same air. Like there was times at protests where it's so hard to yell in a megaphone with a mask on your face that I take mine off and don't realize that it's been off for hours and I've been, you know, in front of people for hours. And I've really just been trying to logically make it make sense. Yeah, and I think as like new research comes out, I mean, I think these protests in a weird way has kind of solidified the research of coronavirus because I think they're starting to realize it's less about being in large gatherings outdoors, but more about um, everything indoors. Because when the original outbreak was happening, a lot of uh, the cases were coming from conference meetings or schools. So you see, and those are very confined spaces. So I think more so to what it's doing for Black Lives, I think this is helping um, refine the research behind COVID-19. Yeah, also on, on that, Protesters are wearing masks. Protesters are taking precautions. There's people at the protest with hand sanitizer, um, people who have extra masks if somebody doesn't have one or just wants another mask from what they're wearing for hours. Um, Recently, I've noticed more police officers with masks, but particularly the first two, three weeks, they were not wearing masks. They were straight up standing there without wearing masks and they they didn't care and people the thing was there were protesters who would offer them masks and i literally saw police officers be like no we don't want it and so it's also like oh you want to protect the people but you're willing to risk them getting a disease 
it's questionable. It's also like risking your own sickness because like there's been multiple accounts from people and um like patrol officers and Rikers getting them and dying. So I'm thoroughly confused. I'm like, okay, I whatever animosity you have towards us, like don't you also wanna hopefully live? <laughs> That's why I do feel like like there's something that they know that we don't because honestly if I was a police officer and I see people dying, and I see fellow officers dying because of coronavirus, and I'm outside where thousands of people are literally shouting at me near my face. I'm going to have a mask on. So I do, I don't, I don't know. No, and the worst part is some of them, like, I see some of them with, they have the mask. They literally physically have the mask on them, and then they don't wear it. Like, it'll be in their hands. It will literally be, like, hanging from their uniform, and they're just like, no, we're not going to wear it. Ridiculous. Yeah, well, even Trump doesn't wear a mask, so there, there you have it. <laughs> like, yeah, like, and it's like again, like six of his people in his like office are sick, and so I'm like, I'm like, I can't like Kiara was saying, I can't tell if it's like there's something we don't know, or it's just like, or if like the IQ levels of everyone is significantly lower than I assume. <laughs> The bar wasn't high, but like I, it's just like the like it's equating their age and like how you have like how is that possible? Like, I just yeah. Well, I do. I was really. I will say that I was really impressed um, at the protests that that I attended by the as you were saying the um, availability of of PPE. Um, and how seriously it seemed protesters were taking it and how people were really share ha- sharing hand sanitizer and like looking out for each other, trying to stay away from each other when possible. So that, I totally agree that it was like, it, it was fascinating to see how that precaution seemed to be much more on the mind of, of the protesters gathering than of the law enforcement around. But um, I think that um, to wrap up, this has been so great. It's amazing to hear how passionate you guys are and and what's on your mind but also i mean beyond the streets although protesting is of course extremely important what other kinds of organizing and activism are you guys taking on and you know there are so many ways to be involved in, in social justice and of course there are also people who can't protest physically for one reason or another so what other avenues are you focusing your energies on yeah so right now we are shifting digitally digitally um we are finding uh black content creators black artists black poems um black poems black poets um uh and suppliers and black owned businesses we're trying to bring awareness to that and keep spreading the word through that and that engagement because um social media i do think social media plays a part because the people that can't protest they're at home on their phones so i do feel like the content that gets put out is has to be valuable and relatable and um, powerful in order to keep this movement going. And um, I want to make a point of it. Um, to add on to that, we're also like moving forward, I think we're also trying to work to gen- educate the general public and make sure that they're aware of what's going on because I feel like a lot of it is people simply like people are so busy living their life they don't have time to do all of the research into everything like you need people who are willing to spend the time to specifically do that and then almost condense it in a way that is easily accessible but also like easily understandable to the general public um and also like back to like the social media thing we get so many messages on like suppliers or like how can I help? Like, I can't protest. I have a child at home. Or even in donations, like, people would donate and would say, like, sorry, I can't be out. Like, I have children who can be at risk. Like, so stuff like that, like, we appreciate. And um, it really does help move forward, like, that we can tell people, like, okay, thank you for reaching out and thank you for trying to help in the best way that you can. Here's what you can do. Sign this petition. Spread this petition. Um, Look this up. Share these share these facts, like, get people more aware. Like, right now we have, like, a private chef. Um, her name's Dominique, and she where she contacted me. She contacted me yesterday about, like, making a page because she had a conversation with a cop the other day, and she really was trying to get them to understand. And, like, stuff like that. She can be outside, but she's 
willing to go like that extra step to make, like make another social media account and spread more awareness for the white people, literally her words for the white people that want to be put on, but doesn't, like, don't really know what to research or what to look up. Amazing. Well, with that, we want to thank all of you, Kiara, Guy, and Cindy um, of Warriors in the Garden for being with us, sharing your insights and experiences and your vision for a world that um, needs to be enacted. And so we want to thank you so much for making time to chat with us today. And if people want to get involved in the organizing work that you're doing, um, what's the best way for people to find you guys? Um, I would ooh, I would say on the streets or um, on, our, on our Instagram page, we have like our email tab there. Uh, we try to get back to everyone as fast as we can because we do, we, we do appreciate support and we do appreciate volunteers and we do appreciate people that want to use their voice. So, yeah. Yeah, and our Instagram is at Warriors of the Garden, if we didn't mention that before. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank yeah, you thank for you having us. Thank you. We're very excited to, to share this episode and we hope also to, you know, be able to meet you guys in real life at some point and to get involved. Mm -hmm. Thank yeah, you. Amazing. And shout out to Joseph for connecting us and suggesting this episode. <laughs> right yeah. Um, and have a great day, everyone. Thanks again, y'all. Thank Bye. Love is all I bring in a mechanic suit.